0: Hey there friend, you found the A Home Worth Having podcast and this is episode number three out of the mini-series on how to break patterns inside the larger topic of belonging that I'm investigating this season. So this third episode is with Joanna Lynn, who is the founder of the Family Imprint Institute. And her mission is to resolve inherited family patterns and prevent them from repeating in the next generation. I just knew that I had to have Joanna on this podcast, and we very quickly came on the topic of family trauma. Now, if you don't consider yourself to have family-related trauma, You'll be very cool and relaxed with the conversation that I'm having with Joanna. But if you are somebody who has been through family trauma, I have to warn you that this conversation might trigger you. And I know this because it triggered me. Because in the first conversations that I had with Joanna before recording this... I was very much in the cognitive state of saying, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like something everybody should do. But when I tried to apply to wisdom to my very own situation, I felt a lot of inner tension. I felt my body stiffing up and I felt quite a few times the urge to just say, oh come on woman what do you know about my hurt because if you would know you could never just be so calm and peaceful and relaxed and that is when i knew that if i hold so much inner tension it is definitely something i need to do i was so intrigued between her inner calmness And my insights just climbing up and resisting everything that she said. So I'm inviting you to listen to this episode and hold the discomfort that you might be experiencing. If I have learned one thing in these past years of my own self-learning, self-development, then it is the knowledge that if I have so much resistance... And i can just not let things be cool be easy then there is something for me to discover so i actually did a session with joanna and i will give you my feedback of what happened to me afterwards so what you need to know for this episode is that when i designed the questions for joanna to answer I was still very much in that state of disbelief and in the state of being triggered and (laughs) trying to keep it together. But when we actually recorded the episode, I had already gone through that session with her and I had a much better understanding of what she was talking about. And I could let a lot of her answers just stand as they were. And not fight them. So you will hear statements like, the goal is to be living at peace with what went on in the past. And I think we all can agree, yes, of course, that is something we should be doing, we want to do. But then she will say something like, the way we do this is through understanding where the person that has traumatized you comes from. To understand what lies behind their behavior, what lies behind their need to be numbing themselves or to be so controlling or to be so manipulative. And that might trigger you. And I totally get that because it triggered me. It made me feel... Like Joanna was saying, living at peace with the past through understanding means to be okay with what went on and to give permission in hindsight for those things to happen. And that is causing some visceral, visceral reactions. But that is not what she's saying. That was my own interpretation. So I'm inviting you to sit down, listen to this episode. And if you have similar strong reactions, sit with those reactions. There is something you need to understand. I'm saying this because there was something that I needed to understand. And not understand with my head, but I needed to understand what it would feel like to be at ease with the past. So I hope you stay, you listen and you can listen to this in one sitting and then take the first step into breaking the patterns that you don't want repeating in your own children's lives. Welcome to the Home of Having podcast, my friend. This is the place to learn how to create a home away from home. I am Nick. I am an interior designer, but also a Sierra expat. And this season, I'm on the quest to find out what belonging means. Why? Well, because psychologists claim belonging is what defines the value of our life. And it helps us cope with life when life gets rough. And you don't need to be an expat to know life doesn't get any rougher than when we feel lonely. So I'm inviting you to hear and learn from inspiring people as they share their story and their knowledge on belonging. And then you can make a decision on what a home worth having really means to you. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome to the Home Worth Having podcast. I'm talking today to Joanna Lynn, who is the founder of the Family Imprint Institute. And when I first read what she's doing, I was just, wow, I have to talk to you, Joanna. So since we had a lot of talks and quite a bit of communication already before we recorded, I know that our conversation is going to be very, very rich, and I'm looking so forward to doing this today with you. Welcome, Joanna.
1: Oh, thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you.
0: Joanna, as I said, when I read what you were doing, it reads like this. You are resolving inherited family patterns, and your mission is to prevent them from repeating in the next generation. That sounds like, yeah. We all have stuff that we're like, if I can prevent, if I can help it so my kids don't have to go through this, I'll do everything. Can you elaborate a little bit on what it is that you're actually doing? Because that reads great, but it's a little bit vague and it's a little bit hard to understand what it is you're actually doing.
1: Yes, you know, it's very hard to put into words. It's so experiential. And I would have to say that clients don't come into my office saying, okay, I want to unpack my intergenerational issues, you know? It's, it's really gosh, my marriage is on the rocks. I'm so worried about my teen child. I feel so depressed and I just can't get out of bed most days. It's typically a presenting issue in their day-to-day that brings them into my office. And my role is to look at, are there unresolved family patterns? Are there unresolved issues that may have been carried by mom, dad, or either sets of grandparent to begin to find out how we provide resolution for the client's issues and
0: challenges that are coming up today? Right. And I remember when we talked the last time, you mentioned something that's called epigenetics. And I have to admit, I first had to look it up what that actually means. And it's quite fascinating. So the simple version, or as I understood it with my layman's approach, is that events or experiences can have such a deep impact on a person that the change is not just behavior and limited to that one person, but can even change and alter DNA And that is something that we can then pass on to our kids so they are more sensitive to or they have an affinity for fill in the blanks. Is that what it is? What a great
1: description. Absolutely. So if we give that an example, let's say our grandfather is in a war-torn country and in a war situation, This trauma, this experience changes the way his DNA expresses, changes us at a very deep level. And this, of course, is what's then carried on to the next generation. And I guess I'd call it the intelligence of our system, the intelligence of the human body that those who come after us are born prepared to deal with what we experienced, Where this might come into a challenge is if we're living in a very safe community and yet we don't know what to do with the hypervigilance in our body or with the anxiety that fires off at the littlest thing, we, of course, are not taught to consider, wow, I wonder if I'm carrying what's been left over from my grandfather who had so much trauma but just shut down. And didn't know what to do with what he had gone on in the wartime. And then it becomes a father who's angry and shut down and, you know, men don't talk about their feelings, this sort of generation. And here we are trying to understand, why am I so anxious at a drop of a hat? Why do large groups of people make me feel like I want to jump out of my skin? And so this work is about not just viewing the client as an individual, but as part of a larger system so that we can come to completion with what's been passed on to us in our DNA.
0: Right. That is a lot of information. And I remember that a while ago, I watched a documentary and there was also one example that because you mentioned the grandpa that has been through war, I remember that example of if mom has been through, let's say, a war situation or a famine situation, and she gets pregnant during that famine, so being constantly hungry has an effect on her body, is that her body learns to use every calorie once there is food very, very wisely. So, the body doesn't waste any of the calories that he's given because he has learned to be really efficient with it. So that is one of the traits that is then passed on to the kids. And nature means to do it well in order to protect the next generation to be so prepared for the calorie intake. But if the kid then is being raised in another situation where there is abundance of food that leads to easily being obese or just having easily those kilos too much because your DNA is so prepared to make the most out of every calorie intake? That's exactly right, yes. Right? But how does that work with behavior? I mean, you could say mom didn't have much food because she lived through this famine. And when there was food, she wasn't, let's say she would stuff her face. Okay. And then that's something I do as a next generation. Well, there are no, in this work, there isn't
1: any, you know, one plus one equals two, because we are such individuals. And so that's why with each and every client, I'm taking their three-generation geneogram to understand their internal language. And so much about what we received from that perspective of attunement with mom, love and attention with mom, that has a lot to do with our relationship with food. So yes, there is this epigenetic component of what happens to mother and grandmother while they're pregnant with us, but there is also the environment of which we're grown, that there could be If we even use a more common example, a hundred different clients that come in with depression. And we could actually have a hundred different backgrounds or family understandings of why their expression is going this way. And so it's very personalized, this approach.
0: Okay, and can you maybe narrow down on what a geneogram is?
1: Oh yes, so that looks like your individual map. So when I'm working with a client, I'm asking questions about their relationship with their mom. And so I'm building a map of how they hold that relationship with their mom and their dad. And then I'm also including grandparents above that. I'm more interested in instead of tell me about your grandma, what did mom say about her mom? Because that relationship can be so different than how we might have viewed our grandmother. And so we're getting an understanding of where love may have stopped flowing in the family, where there might have been a trauma or the lack of love flowing. So let's say if grandmother lost the baby after your mom was born, it's easy to understand that grandma would have been going through a huge grief, giving mom less attunement and love that every little girl would need to thrive. And so when the client says, oh, my mom is cold and withdrawn, we can easily understand why that might be. It's like we step in to the understanding of the whole family map when we can see three generations inside the geneogram, we're able to see the client's situation much more clearly.
0: Yeah. Now that you are explaining it like this, it sounds like something that is easy to understand. But I remember from our very first talk, I don't know how we started about it, but we talked in particular about family trauma. So family trauma, there is a severeness to it. And when you said, oh, we heal through understanding, something inside me just stiffened up, clammed up. And it's like, what are you saying? We heal through understanding. What does that mean? Because I could not imagine that me all of a sudden understanding why that person that traumatized me or understanding where they come from, how does that make my trauma less traumatic? It felt like you were saying understanding is approving or accepting. And I know from myself and from talks with other people who have been through trauma It is a very, very hard thing to hear because accepting is like giving permission in retrospective. So that's not my view. When we look at
1: the consequence to ourselves for holding on to the hurt – So oftentimes, what is even more harmful than the act itself, whatever may have happened to us as a child or what may have felt like the injury in the relationship, the way we continue to hold on to it often causes us even more harm than the situation itself. And so there's this understanding, this work is over 50 years old, that what's unresolved with our parents tends to be lived out again in our current relationship, even tends to be lived out in how we parent our own children and how they receive love from us. And so what's unresolved just continues on again as if it was on some awful cycle of repeat. And so beginning to come to peace with what happened, have a broader view. Um, In this work, we talk about stepping out of taking it on personally So, if we've held this personal image that mom was emotionally shut down, she could never be there for me, she was so quick to anger, let's say that's our image of our mom. And then we understand, wow, my mom's mom lost a baby and my mom was only two years old. Everything that she would have known must have been unplugged. Her mom likely would have been in tears a lot, going through the grieving cycle. Anyone who's lost a child... You know, is there anything worse than that as a life experience? And there's a part of us that can go, wow, no wonder I couldn't get her back online with me. And we can now view with adult understanding, with adult wisdom, what we couldn't see, of course, because we were just a child. And so we're updating our past in a way that includes all the variables. And this is what frees us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard. It sounds all well and it sounds so peaceful. But if you've been holding on to anger as some sort of energy so you can move on, so you can live your life because otherwise you can't hold it together, it almost sounds like a fairy tale. So I'm wondering, are there different kinds of healing? Is there just healing through understanding, healing through forgiveness? Do we have to forgive in order to heal? Great
1: question. I've always wondered about this idea of forgiveness. And I actually teach a workshop called The Myth of Forgiveness. Because if only those words, I forgive, were enough to make a profound change, were enough to move us forward. And forgiveness falls into this shallow space often, where what are much more life-promoting words are I understand the ability to look beyond the pain with whomever parent, whichever parent, mother or father, to be able to say, dad, no wonder you drank. Look at what happened to you as a little boy at the hands of your own father, or look at what you went through when you were sent off to war. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be as traumatic as this. Sometimes there are simple things where my gosh, you didn't know as a child, but mom's having an affair and it breaks dad's heart and they stay together, quote unquote, for the children. And you can't make sense of the disconnect. And so you stop trusting your own gut instincts. And you think back, oh, if only they'd been honest with me, I would have been able to read signals a little better in my adulthood. All I'm saying is, if we can update our understanding from an adult perspective, It ends up really freeing the way that injury or that hurt has been held inside. When we can really see the I understand and not hold it as personal, this is where we can dissolve how we've been holding it inside. So much of the anger that keeps us upright or keeps the relationship at a distance, if we flip the coin on that anger, what sits on the opposite side of it is deep, deep sadness. And so, so much of that we're keeping down and keeping in the body and it can be a lot of emotional management and we're actually not very open to receive what's going on currently in our lives today if we're suppressing all of this stuff that we're trying not to feel or trying to keep the anger as a bodyguard. You know, anger really is Sad's bodyguard.
0: Right. So let's say I went through that transformation, I evolved and I see the bigger picture and I have better understanding, but the relationship is still broken because that was a one-sided evolvement. How do we heal those broken connections in families? I think it's hard. Even if one party has that better understanding Do we just quietly live with this understanding, or do we confront? So much about our family relationships
1: often need to be transformed internally first. And so I often share with my clients, we kind of walk around with this backpack of resentment or pain or the wishing of how it could have been or how mom should have been. And we bring that backpack of pain into the next time we go for dinner or into the phone conversation. And it's our role to let go of that backpack, to release a lot of those judgments and hurts. So that's some internal work first before we show up in the relationship. Often, and this is really the beautiful nature of this work, when it gets into the experiential part, I will guide my clients through a conversation that they feel they might never be able to have with their spouse, with their mother, with their their teen they feel distant from. And they're able to express what's been rumbling around inside of them to that person so that they can show up in that relationship in a very new way. I think when we step into a challenging relationship with a family member to confront, we're both bringing our sides and it really often can go sideways rather quickly. And so the work is internal. The work is for us to do. And then we show up inside that relationship differently when
0: we are ready. Right. I remember having that conversation. I have a very good friend who has been through different trauma, but... I mean, you can't compare trauma, but it was intense as well. And she has a very good relationship with her mom. And at some point I had to ask her, I'm like, look, girlfriend, how come? How can you have this good relationship? It's so hard for me to understand. We have so much in common, but that we don't. There we differ so much. And her response to me was, because the person my mother was back then is not the person that she is now, and I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." So her mother has taken responsibility. there has been a development on her side um and i, I yeah, if we wait for our parent to change
1: or to do their inner work, that is the green light for us to move into relationship with them. Sometimes this can put us in a waiting pattern that is lifelong. So, this work is not about waiting until your parent changes. This work is about you changing first and recognizing that will change the dynamic. And, Nicole, the truth is for many of my clients, they're not prepared to go back into relationship because. The experience was very heightened, was very complicated, but it's enough to be able to shift the way they hold that parent so they're not actively engaged in resentment and anger and hurt, that they might live with the understanding of, okay, my mom was harmed and so she harmed me. Okay, I'm going to leave it there, but I'm not going to live my life feeling bringing forward that anger, that resentment, that feeling of guardedness. And we live much more peacefully. And we may still not have an active relationship with our parent or those clients that I work with that their parent has already passed on. The work can only be internal.
0: Right. So it's not so much about having that relationship that I might have or not have with my mother include in that relationship with my child it's more for me to be instead of saying angrily you are not part of our life just saying with a peace of mind you are not a part of our life but that's okay that's the way it is right now
1: so One of the guidelines for this work is that the family has an organizing principle, and it does not allow for an exclusion. When our mom is excluded from our heart, when we feel like we've got to keep her at an arm's length, and she's not welcome to family gatherings, this is something that will be felt and noticed by our children, of course. And so the starting place with this work is to change the internal way that you hold your mom and what feels like the, the the gold star is to engage in that relationship once again so that families thrive when everyone has their place when everyone is included
0: right and even if that's not possible because the parent has passed
1: Yes. And so that might look like telling your children stories. You know, when I was five, your grandma used to make my favorite popsicles or, you know, even to, to really mine out and find those loving memories. When I do have clients where it's really hard to find loving memories. And so, there's there's a storytelling around, you know, I used to really love it when my mom would read me this story, or I used to really love it when my mom and I would just sit outside and watch the rain fall, that there can be something that can be passed along to your children.
0: Right. So, is that the way that we actively stop transmitting the generational patterns? That's one of the ways, one of the most powerful
1: ways is to live at peace with what went on, to really accept where love did flow and also to accept where love couldn't flow. So if we've got mom or dad who's struggling with addiction and they just couldn't be there and they were a big letdown and you couldn't trust them, that there's the curiosity to understand what's behind the pain of addiction What was there that needed so much of a numbing factor that we look beyond what hurt us so that we really live those words, I understand, and we receive life the way it was given, not the way we think it should have been. This is what protects our children most.
0: Right. So I have another question. Great. There is this big pressure on any parent, but especially the one that has been through a bad childhood themselves. They want and need to make it better themselves for their kids. But that is such a easy thing to say, and I like to compare it to swimming. You've never been in the big water and you have just seen other people swim and you've read a book about the theory of swimming, but just having seen others and understanding that what you went through is not the good thing, not the right thing, not the thing that it, how it should have been, does not mean that you can automatically swim by yourself when you're thrown into the big water because Yes, you've observed others and you've read the theory of swimming, which we can now say that the theory of loving or caring, but how do we deal with that inner pressure? How do we not let it break us when I don't know how to make it better? Mm. This is why the starting with the inner work
1: is so important. So imagine yourself being guided into a conversation with your spouse, with a parent, with um, perhaps an uncle who may have harmed you, you know, that sensitive relationship that's been either actively avoided or tucked away because it's too painful that we start in a therapeutic relationship to begin to explore the effects, the weight this has when it's carried inside of your own body. So that the release or the metabolization of that pain is something that you're guided, something that, you know, we work with together before that's something you're supposed to manage on your own inside these sensitive relationships. I love the uh, swimming metaphor. Just like anyone who's taken a surfing lesson, you're doing the how you stand up on the board on the sand. You're doing the paddling practice on the board, on the sand, that we do a practice run with how we relate and how these emotions have affected us and built up inside before we take the show on the road, before we have that call or that dinner with the family member that's been really challenging for us.
0: Right. So when I read up after our first conversation about epigenetics and family trauma, I came across the concept or the term of reversing trauma. And that implies to not just neutralize, but use whatever negative effects it had to turn it into an advantage. So I think we could call that from a more pessimistic standpoint you could say okay trauma caused me to grow up quickly that would be a more pessimistic version or you could put it in better words and saying i was a lot earlier a lot more mature i saw things my peers they couldn't even comprehend what do you think what do you think about the term reversing trauma Is there something like carrying your trauma or turning it into a, it sounds a bit weird, but into that badge of honor, into that something that you can hold your head proudly?
1: Oh, yeah. I think really the things that have happened to us can be the seeds of our very expansion, can be what causes us to be more resilient There's a lot of new research coming out that talks about those who recover from post-traumatic stress syndrome, and they're having this growth factor that changes how they've lived with this experience inside. It's almost as if it's the very spark that brings forward that resilience. And so I think it's all in the way we hold it. So when I look at my own early life experience being an infant in an incubator separated from my mom for the first week and my mom having to go back to work and I'm in a large daycare setting in the first six weeks of my life, likely this is what has me so interested in when we've had early breaks from our mom. How this changes the way the different neurons in our brain that hook up, the way we relate, how this affects our attachment, the different attachment stages. Are we securely attached? Are we anxiously attached? So I think had I not had that experience, would I even be as intensely interested in the science behind how this shapes us? And so, are police officers drawn to securing the safety of others because they themselves didn't feel safe? You know what I mean? What causes someone to step into certain professions? Is it a case of just as what you're saying? Is it a way that they're using what's
0: happened to them as a growth factor? Right. right. You mentioned the term resilience. How would you refine it? Because I think there's globally simplistically said just two versions of that some understand it as like an armor something rigid that you build that protects you and then there's this other understanding of resilience is you being flexible enough like a rubber band so that even if you get stretched you can snap back into your original form how would you define resilience Well, I sort of
1: see that metaphor of a tree in the wind. So if I'm armored and that big gust comes through and breaks off one of my branches, that is not ideal. And so, the ability to be flexible with what life throws at us, the resilience to pick ourselves back up when unexpected things happen is what really allows that sense of I've got this, that we feel resourced and able to draw upon past experiences and bring us forward in a really positive way. So, I certainly align resilience with flexibility and with feeling resourced.
0: So. We're on the Home with Having podcast, and my season's topic is belonging. How would you define belonging in regards to your profession and what you do?
1: Sure. So from the perspective of this work, everyone has the right to belong. That includes those who may have lived a short life, perhaps a baby who passed just weeks after being born, or an aborted child, a child that has been miscarried. Even those who have passed away generations ago belong. Even family members who have gone crazy, who have harmed another person or have even hurt us, they too belong. So when we look at the whole system, when we look at including everyone in the family, everyone has a right to belong.
0: Right. But for me as an individual, don't I also have the right to put up some boundaries and say, you don't belong into my... In my world? So boundaries, healthy, resilient
1: boundaries are not about keeping another person out. Even someone who's harmed me and my family, they still belong, but I need a boundary. All healthy people need a boundary so that we keep ourselves in. So when that troublesome person may do something to trigger us or anything that happens, we have the ability to stay with ourselves by pushing them out, it ends up being replicated in another way within our lives. So an example of that is, let's say we no longer speak to our father, who was really authoritarian, who had all these rules and was highly critical. Now we're an adult and we go out into our lives, we've completely pushed our father aside, and it seems no matter what job we end up working in, we have a bully for a boss. So this sort of track of what we've excluded finds a way to replicate in our lives today. So if we push someone out and they don't belong, it finds another way to live out again.
0: Right. Yeah. It immediately brings me now spiraling my thoughts by where did that exact example? Where did I cut somebody out? And how did I unconsciously bring him back into my life again through, through that act of cutting out? That is definitely something to think about and to journal about. <laughs> so how how do we show belonging to the ones that we love most, especially in regards of wanting to stop certain familiar patterns to relive in their life? Do we talk about it? Do we just hold on to the good memories? How do we make the part that we don't want to belong how do we include it anyways? So I think a lot of that question also has to do with
1: our own boundary. Because I think a lot of people can show belonging. And again, this is very unconscious. This feeling of who do you need me to be in this family or in this friendship or in this marriage? So that it it keeps going okay. So this sort of like not rocking the boat idea. So perhaps we don't bring up a topic. We know the rest of the family might find extreme or our family members are talking about something political or or something that's going on in the news right now. And perhaps we keep our true view silent in order to fit in. Maybe we're saying yes to helping someone or, or attending something, even though in our body we know it's very clear we don't want to. You know, many families find belonging by gossiping about the cousin in distress or these are quote unquote safe topics that help us to feel like we belong to a unit that thinks the same way. And one of the strongest ways to belong is the actual recognition that, you know what? I'm your daughter. I belong. I'm your sister. I belong. There isn't anything I need to do in order to secure my belonging. This is what keeps us really healthy within ourselves and aware that this is my space. And we're not, we're not leaving who we are or who we think the other person wants us to be to, to turn ourselves into a pretzel in order to belong.
0: So what gets you excited in regards to your subject and the future?
1: Mm, there's really so much to be excited about this whole emerging science of epigenetics is really taking off. There's one pediatrician in the U.S., uh, Dr. Nadine Burke, who is a pediatrician actually, and is bringing the ACEs score, which that stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, how our early life experiences, how we were parented ends up affecting our health 30, 40 years later. And so it's so interesting to see where this work is finding its way into medicine, into education. I have many colleagues that are at the forefront of working with teachers and families to understand child behavior through systemic understanding, through bringing in the whole family history. And so, it's just great to see it's finding its way even into law to judges. And I have a colleague who is a lawyer who's bringing trauma-informed law into the forefront so that we're not re-traumatizing those who are going through the judicial system while they're trying to come to completion. And so, it's really neat to see where, where this topic is is headed.
0: Right. And standing where you are with your experience, with your knowledge and the foresight you see, you see the development a lot more clearly than than we do. Is there like a nugget of wisdom or what do you know better than people who are not as involved, as deeply involved in the subject as you are? Well, I
1: suppose through my research, it's so deeply understood for me that stress that affected one generation will be played out in the next generation. And so we might observe people having a real challenge with their lives or really difficult relationships, and what we're actually seeing is the imprint of their early experience or something that's gone on within their family experience. So for me, when I look out at the world, I've got a much more compassionate lens of understanding than I did before coming into this work.
0: Right. So I have this theory. It's one of my personal truths, something that obviously I'm biased to and I see it repeating over and over, but I'm a serial expat. So I have lived in many different countries for different periods of time. And the expat problem is always... It's really hard to belong in your new place. And I have looked at my life and I have looked at the people that have led me into their lives as a stranger, as a foreigner, as somebody who was different. And I had a lot of different people from different walks of life. And when I looked for what is the common denominator, what, what do they all have in common? I came to the conclusion that all these people who have had the white space to be generous, to be giving, to let me in, had something to be proud about. And we need to make the difference between being proud and acting prideful. A lot of people get confused with those. So I think it's almost like they have this, I can let you in, because even if you should mess something up you can't touch me. I will always have this one thing and it will not affect me. So they have this generosity and this kindness inside. So I was wondering, what makes you proud of yourself? Or when do you know that you did a job well done? What a beautiful question.
1: I love this concept of people feeling so full that they have more to give that, you know, they have a uh, Um, So much to share that let's build a larger table, you know, to welcome more people in. That's that's so beautiful. I think for me, I feel... Uh, proud of myself, or the the day feels really good. If I'm sharing this work in sort of a workshop or maybe a retreat where we've we've left the stressors of our day to day, and people arrive, you know, you you can see the stress on their face, or they're uncertain of what's exactly going to go on here. Um, it's almost as if their eyes reveal uh, the weight of the world that they're carrying. You know. And then we share this day together or this weekend together, and there's a lightness to them after they've engaged with this work, after they have have a different understanding of how they've held their family inside, more connected to themselves. We arrive as strangers, but we're now so interconnected in the group. And so there's this big spiritual idea that goes around that, you know, we're all one, this this very airy fairy out there idea. And yet in these experiences, that concept feels so tangible. And then it, it feels very expansive and life promoting for me as the person who's facilitating this experience. So I would have to say I feel most alive at that time.
0: Right. No, that's beautiful. So, Joanna, what do you do? when things become too much and when you feel uncertain?
1: Well, we've all had our trial with that since this, you know, this quarantine time has begun. We've all been sort of put into that space. And I would say for me, because I have such an active, busy mind, the first step is to, to quiet my mind. And I've studied a lot over the last couple of years breathwork, Uh, Conscious connected breath work slows the mind down, but it allows me to listen more clearly to my body. And I always feel most relaxed and calm in nature. So if I can get that time out to just surround myself with trees or get by a lake or preferably the ocean to sit with what's really important to me about this issue or what's really triggering me, what am I making this about Um, so that I can, I do the, this type of work I do with my clients, with myself, you know, what's the root of this? What's, what's behind this? And then I consider what the next best step is to reduce the overwhelm, to step aside from the stress so that I can get out of that loop as quickly as possible. That's what I have found has helped me best.
0: Right. And when it comes to Imagining your ideal future and concerning your subject, what would you wish for your field of study? What would you wish to happen? And is there maybe something that each and every one of us can do to help propel this forward?
1: Mm. I love that question because I think it excites me so much to see what used to really be only in some circles that would understand has now become more mainstream, as I was sharing before, in in law and in education and in medicine. And so if any of your listeners have been sparked by this conversation, uh, one of my most influential teachers wrote a fabulous book called It Didn't Start With You written by Mark Willin. And so that's a way to self-educate. There's lots of case studies and different exercises you can do at home uh, with your own family experience. For me, I'd like to continue teaching clinicians and naturopaths and therapists about this work so that it can reach more people than than I can personally see in my own office, to really see it go forward and influence more lives.
0: Hi, that is beautiful. I will definitely link that up in the show notes so people can find it easily. And then my very last question, I named my business very, very intentionally A Home Worth Having. And I am an interior designer and it is very visual and it is in certain extents very... The industry can be very shallow. So there's this whole idea in one business name, A Home Worth Having um, what makes your home a home worth having? It's
1: such an interesting thing because home is what really secures the family. What, what is the holding space for the family? And so for me, it goes much more beyond uh, just the textiles or the shape of the coat, you know? And so I would have to say, it's a space to be in the sun. You know, even in the winter, I live in Canada, and the winters here are so awful for me. And so even if I can grab a book and sit in the sun, you know, a window where the sun just streams through. And I love a home that has natural touches and the wood tones. I also really love a home that's got open space. So we converted the typical dining room, and this is the yoga space. It's just really an empty room, space for movement. Um, and I don't think a home for me would be complete without, a, you know, that big soaker tub and this lovely bathroom space that I just, you know, really to promote self care. And I was lucky enough. Our home has a, like a skylight just above the bathtub. So some nights you can see the moon and the stars. And I think from an aesthetic perspective, those are the things. But most importantly is the harmony of the family. And so can you feel that in the space of the home, whether that's, um, you know how some homes you can come into, they feel a bit sterile or you can almost feel the tension and, you know, this, this sense of harmony, it's, it's very intangible. Uh, and yet that's something that is really top of mind when you ask that question.
0: Right. Well, Joanna, so this wasn't my last question because I realized I have one more. What is the one question you wish people would ask? Is there something? Is there something that I forgot to ask you? Oh, no. I think just if the average person
1: would ask, you know, what does the relationship with my parents have to do with my own relationship? Or what does that have to do with my health? Because I think that's such a beautiful question that opens up to all the things we've been talking about, that we are not taught to consider the relationship with the two people that brought us life has such a huge influence on how much life force we let in, what painful patterns we might replicate in our relationships, or how our health can go on in a good way or a compromised way. So much of that has to do with where we receive this gift of life. And I think that would be such a great question. If Maybe if we would uh, have dinner parties, and that's the question that was asked instead of, how's the weather been the last week? Go into a little more deep conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jonna, I want to thank you. You have been so open. You have been so willing to share and so patient with me and my (laughs) me being so torn between two sides. I want to thank you. You've shown up the way you have you have done. And how can people work with you? Because we did that one-on-one session, but I know that you offer different options. So I can imagine that a lot of people are now very intrigued to find out more. And I definitely want to lead them to you because there is so much to discover beyond the conceptual idea of breaking family patterns.
1: Well, thank you for that, Nicole. Um, those who'd like to learn more can certainly visit my website, which is www joannalin.ca. I do offer group trainings. Uh, they are six weeks online and it's usually an international group. And we end up talking about all kinds of different topics, our health, our relationship with money, our money blueprint, and um, how our family history impacts us. And so they're experiential, deep dives into these topics. And then some people prefer to work one-on-one. And so we do that online in a virtual office. And it's just like we're together. And we can move into your personal questions all about family.
0: Right. Yeah, I definitely, I promise my listeners that I will give them a, a view of how I experienced the, the one-on-one work we, we did and what that has moved inside me, because it definitely has moved, which is, yeah, as I said earlier, has brought me to the insecurity of how to do now this interview. It would have almost, it would definitely have been easier if there would have been a before and an after talk. But uh, yeah, so I want to thank you. Thank you so much for having been here and having been so available and so open. Oh, my pleasure. So this was it, my friend. This was my episode with Joanna Lynn from the Family Imprint Institute. What's your verdict? I have to honestly say that I'm almost regretting not having done this episode in two episodes. As in have one before and then one episode after my session with Joanna, Because I can remember feeling that inner tension of wanting to feel inner peace and having a cognitive idea of what that would be like. But listening to her feeling triggered in many different ways, I could not imagine what it would be to actually feel this inner ease. Let me tell you what happened during my session. The way this works is you are having a conversation with Johanna and she asks some very precise questions. And for 90 minutes, it was me giving her my story, the story of my family as far as I knew. And then in the end, it was Joanna who was retelling, who was echoing the story that I just had told her about my family. She was echoing that story back to me only that she filtered out the emotional attachment that I felt. And she added the psychological knowledge she has as a therapist and also added the wisdom of hindsight that we have knowing from history how certain events imprinted on an entire generation of people. So you can imagine it a little bit like watching a documentary of your own life maybe you've imagined that before. What must it be like to be, I don't know, Steve Jobs and watch a documentary about Steve Jobs? I'm telling a friend it's the strangest sensation. Have you ever heard people talk about an out-of-body experience? That session with Joanna was a little bit like that except that I didn't feel out of body. I felt out of time. I felt very much rooted in my body while she was telling back my story. I was feeling how my body stiffened and how I clenched my jaw and how I thought, <sighs> yes, I wanted so many times to interrupt her. And that story that she was echoing back, the emotional component was, was missing. And I, was, I wanted to interrupt her. And I wanted to say, wait, but no, but wait. But I didn't. So I was in my body. I was feeling it all. And at the same time, I was in my head and I was enjoying this travel out of time, getting an impression of what it must have been like to grow up the way my parents did, to grow up the way my grandparents did, to get a glimpse of how my great-grandparents must have been in order to have raised such people. And in the end, I'm not going to lie. In the end, it's physically and mentally exhausting. And it's like, imagine you're going grocery shopping and you're buying an entire week's worth of groceries. And as you unload the car, you realize you've got too many bags. But at the same time, you're a little bit too lazy to go twice from the parking to your house. So you grab all the bags and you walk home and those bags are really heavy and they cut into your hands. By the time you get home and you finally get to drop those bags, you look at your hands and they are swollen. There is those swollen red parts. There's those white parts where the plastic bags cut into your flesh. And as you drop those bags, you can feel instant relief of the weight. But all the little muscles in your hands, they're still so sore and You can't manage to straighten up your fingers because you've been holding on to those bags for so long and it takes time to recover. I felt like that after the session with Joanna. When it was over, I told her, I think there's a lot I need to journal about. And she said, don't, don't do it. Just sit with it. And that's what I did. And part of that experience with Joanna is also that she gives you a recording of a conversation that you might have with those people that you have had such a strange relationship for so long. And it's a very adult conversation, a conversation that I could not imagine myself to have in that moment, not from my part, not from the other party, but as part of the experience You keep listening to this conversation over and over and you keep practicing of what resolution might sound like without accusations, without shaming, without Without the heavy baggage. So my conclusion is this, my friend. You know how they say, stop judging yourself so you can stop judging other people? It's the same with compassion, just the other way around. Start to try and have compassion for the others so you can find compassion for yourself. Because having compassion for people that might have hurt you does not mean that you have less compassion for yourself or that you are allowing, in hindsight, to happen what had happened. It's really just about giving yourself space and Doing it in a very graceful way. Yeah, so I can honestly say I have never experienced a therapeutic conversation that has moved so much in so little time in me. And if you felt touched by this episode or if that episode triggered you, I think especially if it triggered you. Dive in and see if that might not be exactly the thing that you are looking for. So, finally, enough. I just heard last week another episode by James Wetmore with a shaman woman, and in the black community, it's called ancestral healing. And Joanna's offer is very much, it's very much the same. It's just, I guess, a white person's approach of keeping it all more in the science and more within another culture. And that's okay. That is where I felt at home. That's where I felt safe. That's where I felt held. So if you found value in this, if you like this episode, please consider sharing. Or just swipe in your podcast app of preference and give it a five-star review. You don't have to write anything. But those stars, they not only make my day, they help being found. And they will help the person that needs to hear this to find this content. So I'm inviting you to check out Johanna, I keep saying that wrong, Johanna Lin's website, which is the Family Imprint Institute. And you can find her on Facebook and on Instagram. So share the love. And I talk to you again next week. Au revoir.